0: Someone knows my name. Wow, that's cool. Oh Josh said it. yeah. before we get started, we got a really, really special announcement to make I think you'll all be excited about. When you leave today, the ushers would like to hand each and every one of you one million, no I'm sorry, one billion dollars in tax-free cash. And all you have to do to receive it is take it. They want to give it to you. you just got to take it to receive it. There's absolutely no strings attached. Now, if that was actually true, then I would expect you guys to be doing something like this (laughs) out in the lobby or in the parking lot. I know I would be. Um, But no, I'm not going to demonstrate that to you, because then you'd have that seared in your brain forever. Um, Anyway, that's after the service. Uh, again, my name is Chuck Abbott, and I'm the missions director here at Hill Country. And I'm also a missionary for East West Ministries International, uh, working as a church planting trainer in uh, Southeast Asia. If you're wondering why I'm up here today, it's not just because Brian wanted a day off, or because the, uh, the Vikings are playing at 12. Um, it wouldn't be fair because they're playing my Chiefs, so that wouldn't be that'd be just wrong. And um, But Brian knows that this is both my favorite subject of all and that I train it to others uh, overseas. But you can relax. I'm not up here to show you a 1,000 pictures of my last trip of a bunch of people in the jungle or something. Um, as Josh said, we're in week nine of our foundation series, and this week it's titled Evangelism. And I know before you fall asleep because you heard that word, uh, you can relax. Um, we're not going to be talking about this kind of evangelism, although there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we're going to be talking about this kind. You know, you will probably meet more lost people today than we'll hear our pastor preach in a month. You know, the best missionaries are ourselves. Bankers make the best missionaries to bankers, policemen to policemen, teachers to teachers, teachers. 10th graders, to 10th graders, golf buddies, the golf buddies, neighbors, the neighbors, I think you get the idea. So what we're going to do today is talk about a really super, super simple way to share the saving message. And we should, shouldn't we? I mean, Jesus sure made it simple. I mean, let's check out these verses. John 3, 16, probably everybody knows that, most famous verse in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 6, 47, happens to be my favorite verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which is Pastor Brian's favorite verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Notice what we see here. In these verses, Jesus, God, is simply offering us a gift, the gift of everlasting life. And we simply receive it by believing in Jesus for it. When I believe in Jesus for everlasting life, I have everlasting life. That's awesome, right? You, you can say right. I hope you say right. Yeah, it's okay to talk in church. I'm used to that. Um, you know, In Philippians four four, it says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I say, rejoice. This verse is always very interesting to me every time I read it because I think you know, Paul. Paul wrote this, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, did the Holy Spirit tell him to write, "Rejoice in the Lord always," and he's like, "Yeah, you know, I think we need to repeat that." And um, you know, Paul, when he wrote this, it's also interesting. He was in prison. He was in a Roman prison. A first century Roman prisoner at that. Uh, he wasn't at the Ritz-Carlton or at a Sandals resort. So think about that for a minute. You know, Paul certainly knew the gift he had received, the gift of everlasting life. C.S. Lewis once said, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. The more we understand and appreciate the gift of eternal life, the more indeed we'll be rejoicing. And, you know, that's noticeable and attractional to those that are around us and that those we encounter. And we want them to believe in Jesus for eternal life. Why? So they have eternal life. Um, But how do we get there? Why should they believe that in the first place? What evidence might they need to believe that? You know, when I'm overseas training on this, you know, we, we spent about six hours on this, not 20 minutes. But um, the first question I ask is, What do you think makes someone a good evangelist? What kind of person do I need to be? What do I need to know? And I ask them to just shout out the answers. And I start saying stuff. So and we write all these on a board or on some paper, or sometimes on a wall. And try to get as many things out of them as we, as we can of what they think makes a good evangelist or what kind of person they need to be. And for the last six years, every trip, these are, the, these are by far, these are always given as answers. Um, and so that's why I'm sharing those with you today. All this last trip, I just came back with my son. We had a, we had a new one that was quite interesting to me. Someone actually said, you needed a motorbike. And um, so we wrote that down. But um, if I get that more, I'll write that down on my next time I talk about this. Anyway, we get this nice big list created. And we'll get back to this later. Because we're, at, we're, at, we're asking the question, how do I talk to them about Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us how in John 4, 4 through 42. And I asked them to read the entire uh, story again. Some have read it before. But I still ask them to read it again. And ask one question. Who do you think are the two evangelists. And I tell them one of them is Jesus. Inevitably, somebody shouts out, oh, it's a Samaritan woman. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, we know it's a Samaritan woman, but I want them to read the story again anyway. And there's a reason for that. But uh, we're not going to read the whole story, but let's look at some of the key verses there. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It was Verse 10. And verse 13 and 14 Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life And verse 16 and 18 is a kind of interesting exchange he told her go call your husband and come back I have no husband she replied Jesus said to her well you're right when you say you have no husband the fact is you've had 5 husbands and the man you now have is not even your husband, what you've just said is quite true. And her answer I find quite fascinating. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. I think, you know, can you imagine being there and Jesus tells you all your deep, dark secrets and be like, yeah, I think you're a prophet. Anyway, this has nothing to do with my message, but I think it's kind of interesting. And in verse 25 to 26, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Verse 28 to 30, then leaving her water jar, the women went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. In verse 39, this is the beginning of verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So I ask them, first of all, I make sure they understand that the second evangelist is a Samaritan woman, which they usually do. But then I ask them, was she a good evangelist? Usually they say yes, every now and then someone will say no. I'll say, of course she was a good evangelist. Look at verse 39, it says, many believed in him. And then I get them real excited because I say, you know what the word many there, John wrote in the original Greek, you know what it means? And they're like, oh, what? Maybe it's some secret thing they're going to learn. And I say it means many. And um, it actually meant a large, means a large number, a great in number. Um, but what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean a couple or a few or just, you know a couple of our friends on Facebook or something. It means many. And so the answer to the question, was she a good evangelist? I would certainly say, well, yes, she's a good evangelist. But I say, well, remember the list that we made of what made a good evangelist. Let's look at that and let's think about the Samaritan woman. And we go over in here to where we're going to have some interesting technology, if it works. We go over our list and we think about the Samaritan woman. Does she have lots of Bible knowledge? I don't She had a little bit, but it was confused. She had a lot of kindness, Um, maybe towards the current guy. She was with good character. I would think you would say no. Peaceful. Doubt it. She had five husbands. (laughs) Faithful. Talk to her five husbands again. Uh, Gift of evangelism. There's no indication of that. Love. I don't think, I mean, again, we can talk to her five husbands. Or heart for the lost. We don't really see indication of that. A good example. I don't think you'd want her to be an example to your teenage daughter. Grateful. I gamble. A lot of these, we've got to talk to their five husbands and we'd get the answer. Humility. No. Prayer life. Don't see anything there. Desire to go. Yeah, we do see that. Fruit of the Spirit. I don't see her displaying any of that. Generous well, I won't really go there. She's generous with something. Um, patience. Again, talk to those five guys. Noble. You know, a churchgoer. Well, maybe she was one of those churchgoers, but I don't know. Uh, a changed life. No, we don't see any of that. Study the Bible. She knew a little bit, a little scripture, but we don't say about her about studying the Bible. But yet we know that she was a good evangelist. Why? The Samaritan woman was a good evangelist because she simply went and told. This is really, really important. So I asked, does she meet all these qualifications? Well, no, she doesn't. But what made her a good evangelist? She simply went and told. I got to exit out of this here and go back. So who makes a good evangelist? Because example of a Samaritan woman, we know that all believers, any believer, are just willing to go and tell. That's who makes a good evangelist. You know, we got to be really, really careful with our man-made lists. Very careful with our man-made lists. I mean, she left that water pot and immediately ran back to tell, and many believed. You know, that water pot, if you don't know, that's like a, back then, that was a really prized possession. That'd be like, you or I like leaving our brand new iPhone 35 or whatever they're on right now and just relieving it and running back. Um, that was a big deal. How long was she a believer? A couple of minutes. How long did it take her to run back there? I don't know. Even if it was an entire marathon, she was only a believer for a couple of hours. Did she know much? No. Was she a good person? Absolutely not. Did she fix her life up first? No. But here's what's really, really important for us to to realize. Did Jesus stop her? No, he didn't. I believe Jesus is God. So if he wanted to stop her, he certainly could have. If all those things that we listed were important, he would have stopped her. Said, no, you know, we got to first fix you up a little bit. Remember I told you about how kind of messed up you are? He didn't stop her. He let her go. He didn't say, no, you got to wait. You got to do, you got to prove something to me. You got to prove that you really drank the living water in the first place. He didn't do that. He let her go. You know, she knew enough to simply go and tell her story and share the excitement of eternal life that she now had. That's what made her a good evangelist. So the first part of answering the question, how do I talk to them about Jesus? Is we need to tell our story. And we all have a story, don't we? You all have a story. Each and every one of you, I have a story, and they're all different. They're all unique. And we must know and be confident that God knows our own stories, and he's going to bring people into our lives probably each and every day that need to hear our story. You identify with us. God knows that, and he will bring those people into our life. And like Paul in Acts 22, your story needs to have three parts. What was your life like before you believed in Jesus, how I became a believer in Jesus, and what's my life been like since I believed in Jesus? Why is this important? We simply want to be able to easily and quickly share with them our story so that we can have the opportunity to share God's story. So I encourage you to spend some time, go home, spend some time thinking about your story, write it out, really know these three parts because the idea here is so that we can easily and quickly share our story with others, others so that they can see Christ in us. If they can't see Christ in us, why are they gonna wanna hear God's story? They won't. Again, this is the importance of Philippians 4.4 and how important it is for us to be applying each and every day. And that's not easy, especially when we might be having one of our own Roman prison type days. But if we do that, it's going to be noticeable and attractional to those around us. And that, that's just why it's crucial. Another reason, so all it takes to be a good evangelist is to just go and tell. You know, the power of the gospel is in God the Holy Spirit. It's not in us. We also see this in the story of the Samaritan woman. If you think about it, you know, she went back and it said, Many believed. What kind of person was she? I mean, she was really messed up. No one liked her. She was a hated person. She was definitely an outcast. She was at the well by herself at the wrong time of day. But as many believed, you know, she simply had the new light of Christ in her and she shared her story and God's story. And people listen. The power of the gospel is not in us. The power of the gospel is in God, the Holy Spirit. So after we share our story, we share our story for one reason, so that we can share God's story the story of the good news of the gospel. And while there are many, many ways to share the saving message of the gospel, I'm going to share with you something that's so simple. And it should be simple, right? I mean, Jesus certainly made it simple. If you've ever been part of our backyard Bible clubs or some of our Mexico mission trips, then you're going to be somewhat familiar with this or very familiar with this. so we're going to draw, and you have room in your, in your bulletins and outlines to be able to draw along with me. And we'll talk about why that's important. I'm going to draw. Let's see if I can get this correct here. Now we got to do this. There we go. This is God. And in the beginning, God created man. And created us to have a relationship but We decided to go the other way. We see in Romans 3:23. It says, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." This is our problem. Our problem is sin. And like all problems, this problem has a consequence. we see in Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin are death. The consequence is death. This is both physical death, but far worse, spiritual death. We're said to be separated from God. And there's nothing we can ever do to get back to God. All of our efforts will always fall short. We can't do anything. We can't solve a problem and its consequence. But you know, God never stopped loving us. And so while we can't provide a solution, he sure did. We see in Romans 5, 8, well, oh, God never stopped loving us. Even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. The solution is the cross. The cross is the bridge back to God. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he took care of our problem of sin. That problem has been solved. And by rising again on the third day, he proved who he, he was. He defeated death. He proved who he says he was, God. The solution is the cross. This gap has been completely closed. God now is free to offer us a gift. And our response is to simply believe. We see in John 3.16 again. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And you know what's neat about John 3.16? There's many reasons why it's so popular, but when you think about it, it's also the entire of God's story in one verse. It's for God so loved the world. That's the relationship that he, he created us for, that he gave his only begotten son. But well, why do you have to do that? Or why did he do that? Because of our problem and our, the consequence of that problem that we could not solve at all. But he, didn't, he never stopped loving us, so... He sent his son to solve our problem. The cross is the solution. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's our response is to simply believe in Jesus for everlasting life. We also, again, I guess that's right. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Our response is to simply believe in Jesus for everlasting life. That's God's story. It's so simple. Then you can ask, do you believe in Jesus for everlasting life? Let me ask you that again. Do you believe in Jesus for everlasting life? Yeah. I hope you said yes. I hope you said yes. I hope you believe in Jesus for everlasting life. Because you know what? If you do, you have everlasting life. That's God's story. It's very simple. We're simply to share our story, share God's story, invite them to believe in Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict them that this is true. And their response is to simply believe in Jesus for everlasting life. And when they do, they have it. Why do we draw this? You know, there's a number of reasons. But most of the time when we talk to somebody about this, they're probably going to say no or I'll think about it. They'll probably be polite, though, and take the piece of paper from you. Remember the power of the gospel. It's not in us. It's in the Holy Spirit. And they can take that paper home and they can look at it. Maybe they'll look up the verses themselves. And they'll remember what you said. And the Holy Spirit is just going to keep convicting them that this is true over and over Because that's the power of the gospel. And who knows? They might believe in Jesus for everlasting life. You may never know that. And someday we're in heaven and you meet somebody and you're like, Whoa, you made it? And they're gonna be like, Yeah, I remember you and like, I believe that. We don't know that. Maybe you can't draw it though. Now I hope you can see how simple it is. You can simply share it. You can talk about the relationship that God created us for, but that we're the ones that went the other way. And we got a problem. And that problem has a consequence, and that consequence of death, especially the separation from God forever, and we can't do anything. But God did everything, and that's the grace of God. He did it all for us. He sent His son to take our place on the cross. It's a done deal. The bridge has been closed. And our response is to simply believe in Jesus for everlasting life. And you can say, do you believe in Jesus for everlasting life? If they say yes, they have everlasting life. It's that easy. I hope you see that. Everlasting life is the greatest gift ever. I mean, it is the single greatest gift ever. I don't, it, if we actually did give you a billion dollars when you left here, that would be cool. It's not happening. But that still wouldn't be the, as great as a gift of everlasting life. But do we really know that, and do we really believe that? You know, when we receive gifts, our reactions can be different. We can have a simple thank you to going crazy and doing a dance jig or something and telling everyone about it, or being like a little kid that you've seen at Christmas that gets excited. But shouldn't we act the same, if not more so, with the gift of everlasting life? So let's know the gift that we were offered and that we simply accepted. And let's desire to help others simply accept the gift of everlasting life by believing in Jesus for it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. Father, we thank you for the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that despite what we did, you never stopped loving us and that you provided a solution. We thank you for the cross, Father. We thank you that, that our problem of sin has been solved. We thank you for the gift that you're offering us. Father, we pray that we would understand that gift. We would concentrate on that day by day and be excited about the gift that we have. Father, we pray that it would show to others that are around us. Father, we pray that you would bring people into our lives that need to, need to hear our story. They need to identify with us and that they would indeed see Christ in us and that we would have that opportunity and open door to be able to talk to them about your story, we would be able to then invite them to believe in Jesus for everlasting life. Father, we pray that you would not only provide us those opportunities, but that we would see those opportunities and that we would seize upon them. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.